Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome to the house of the Lord for worship. We are so delighted to be with you this morning. Thank you for coming. If you're joining us online, a special welcome to you from wherever the Lord has you today. I want to remind you that we have online hosts who are especially here for you to answer any questions you have and would love to pray with you. Wherever you are today, we want you to feel connected to what God is doing in this place in this community. So please take advantage of that chat, create a profile if you haven't yet so that we know that you are here and use that request prayer button if you want to go into a one-on-one private chat with one of our hosts. They would love to just get to know you, answer your questions, and lift up your prayers before the Lord today. Well, I'd love to invite you to stand as you are able in body or in spirit for our call to worship today, which comes from Matthew. Jesus says these words to his disciples, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe you're like me this morning and you're coming in and you physically, spiritually, emotionally just need an exhale. So together, I would love for all of us to take a deep breath in and breathe it out. That breath, the Lord put that in your lungs. Every breath you take is his. Let's pour it back out to him in praise this morning. Let's rest before him because Jesus invites us to come before him. Not to strive, not to work harder, but to rest in him. Because our God has already finished the work. He is unstoppable. He is good. There is nothing you're facing this morning that he cannot handle. Amen? Amen. Let's worship our God who is worthy this morning.
shall be impossible for our God. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, Shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, Psalm 22, we read that God is enthroned on our praises. The psalmist writes, In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Oh, how sweet it is to put our trust in the one who is worthy of it who is worthy to be trusted because he is in charge. He is seated on the throne. How sweet it is to trust in Jesus.
we trust you. We praise you. You are worthy to receive our praises this morning because you are king who is seated on the throne. All hail King Jesus.
Jesus, we don't have enough songs to sing, enough words to say, enough notes to play, enough good deeds we can do to possibly express how worthy you are to receive all of the praise and the honor and the glory and the adoration and every ounce of energy and every word of praise that we have. All hail King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for the honor and the privilege of meeting with you in this place. We thank you that because of you, we can stand before you without fear. Your word tells us that we are invited to come boldly before the throne of grace. Not because of anything we have done. Not because we've cleaned up our act already or because we're really good Christian or because we put on our happy church face and we came all put together this morning. You actually meet us in our most honest and real places with all of our brokenness, with all of our struggles. You invite us in that state to come boldly before your throne of grace because what you did for us was enough. Impossible things in your name, they shall be done. I lift up each person in this room and the impossible thing that they're facing today. The broken relationships, the loss of jobs, the chronic pain, the hidden depression, the strained marriages, the difficulties with children, the grief that's been there for a long time that they're afraid to talk about because they think they should have moved on by now. Those who are doubting that you're still good because of how much evil we see around us. Those who are having trouble getting up in the morning. For those who it took everything in them to get here this morning and for those who couldn't get here this morning because that was their impossible thing. Father, we thank you that in your name, impossible things can be done. And so we proclaim in Jesus' name and in the power of your spirit that you are at work in this place and in each one of these people's lives and that these impossible things are not impossible for you. You're bringing healing. You're bringing transformation. You have something for us. Because Jesus is on the throne. He is seated on the throne. He is not on the cross. He is not dead. He is risen and ascended and seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us every moment. We are not alone. We are not hopeless. We are not helpless. We have a good God who is for us. Father, we believe. Will you help our unbelief? For those who are holding on to faith by a thread, Will you help our unbelief? Holy Spirit, we know you are here and we need you this morning to open our eyes to see you. 
open our ears to hear what you have for us and our hearts to receive it, that we might leave here looking a little bit more like the people you always intended us to be. We pray these things in hope and expectation, knowing that you are a good God. We pray all of these things in the matchless name of our King Jesus. Amen and amen. And you may be seated. Good morning and welcome to Springbrook Church. My name is Max and I'd like to take a brief moment of your time and go through a few announcements. First things first, you will find a connection card located in each one of your rows. I ask that you please fill that out so that we can stay in touch with you and keep you updated about all of the wonderful things going on. If you're joining us online, welcome. I hope you're having a wonderful morning. There is a connection card located at the top left corner of your screen. Please click the button and type in all your information so we can stay in contact with you. We have a prayer gathering coming up this Tuesday at 7 p.m., and that will run all the way to 8.30 p.m. If you are available, please join us, taking the time to glorify God and to communicate with Him. Churches run on prayer. For those of you older folks in our community, we have the Seniors of Springbrook coming up. If you are 55 and over, come, come join us on June 21st from 1, to, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. for fun, games, engaging conversations, and a movie. I'm sure this is probably the fifth week in a row you've heard about our missions fundraiser. But once again, to remind you, our barbecue orders are due next Sunday, that is June 19th. So if you would like to order barbecue, please get your orders in by that time. And now I'd like to introduce Pastor Rich. He's going to say a few things about VBS. Thank you, Max. Good job. You're <laughs> <laughs> hey, if we can help you get connected uh, here at Springbrook, we'd love the opportunity to do that. Uh, I was watching online. We have over almost 30 families watching online this morning. And so um, I, I get online, I try to pull names out of people. So if you're watching online this morning, we're glad you're with us. We're really glad that you're in person with us this morning. Uh, today is Blue Day. I know I've, I've, everybody's wearing blue. I think it's because of summer. And so uh, we are ready for summer. And so uh, we're glad that you're with us today. Hey, last Friday, we finished up our vacation Bible school. We had uh, uh, just under 70 kids. There was over 60 kids here. Uh, This place was just packed with kids. We had an opportunity to reach many new families. And so I want to thank you. If you're a regular attender at Springbrook and you invited somebody to VBS last week, thank you for doing that. It was a a great opportunity for us to connect with our family and uh, families in our community. And then we had 17 kids that either express an interest in having a relationship with Christ or cross that line of faith. And so that is just huge, isn't it? 17 kids want to know more about a relationship with Christ. You know, this is why we exist. We want to reach our community for Christ. We want to help people to explore and understand how to have a relationship with Christ. And we want to grow them in their faith. And so I want to thank you for your support. Uh, If you are a leader at Springbrook, if you served at VBS in any capacity last week, could you just stand for a second? I just want to see how many here. 
Uh, is there anybody in here that was serving at VBS? Yeah, so. I know, I was going to say, there's a couple you just don't want to stand, I know. <laughs> we had a picture of all the leaders at VBS at the very end, and that, the stage was filled with people that took time off of work, used their vacation, they volunteered their time uh, to help us to be effective uh, reaching our community for Christ and helping these kids to understand uh, how to have a relationship with Christ. So thank you for your support for our ministry enables, that enables us to be able to do that. In fact, we have a video. I want to thank Ben and Brittany Welson. They put this video together. Let's watch it. God, you made our creation. The days nest the water and sky. But you make us more amazing and wonderful than all of those things combined.
Well, a special thank you to uh, Michelle Howell and uh, Pre Tenario for uh, just their leadership over our children's ministry. It was so exciting to see the way that um, came together. And I tell you, the energy in this place this past week, I wish I could have just bottled it up somehow. These kids were just having a blast. The leaders were having a blast. And there was something exciting about what was happening as they came together to learn about God, right? And that's my prayer for our church. You know, there's something happens as we get a little bit older, you know, that energy uh, starts to wane, uh, but God, it doesn't have to, you know, because of the Holy Spirit in us, God working in us. Uh, my prayer for our church is that we would be that excited about what God's doing in our life. And that's what the book of Hebrews was written for. The book of Hebrews was written to encourage us in our faith. It was to support, it was to point us to the supremacy of who Christ is. And we're to be encouraged as we read through God's word together in that way. The book of Hebrews was written uh, to the Hebrews at that time. It was written to those Jewish members of the early church, those first Christians. And uh, I think the author Paul wrote that, so we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Um, but we're in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, and, 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 and the author is writing to help us to understand the security of who we have in Christ. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can uh, turn with me to uh, the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 10. If you're watching online with us this morning, uh, there's a place, there's a little tab down at the bottom. It says Bible. You can click that, and uh, you can open up the Bible online with us uh, as well. Uh, but the book of Hebrews was written to encourage us to, uh, to, to help us to remain firm in our faith. And that was the message that the author was wanting to convey to, convey to those early listeners. He wanted to remind them to remain true to their faith in Christ in the midst of adversity and not to return to their former ways of living, to their former beliefs. And it's a message that is relevant for us today. We're challenged by remaining secure and steadfast, especially when things are happening around us. We talked about that a little bit earlier in this series about how there's challenges uh, to our faith. And so we need to encourage one another and be reminded about where our faith lies. You know, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it changes us, or it's supposed to change us, right? When we enter into a relationship with Christ, the scripture says that the old is gone, the new has come. We're new creations, and so there's supposed to be something different about our lives as a result of our relationship with Christ, isn't there? So how has our relationship with Christ changed us? How has it changed you? You know, what does your relationship with Christ look like? In verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, uh, he's writing to encourage us in the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Everything that we need is found in Christ. The author writes this, beginning in verse 1. For since the law has been but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. If it could, otherwise, they would, not, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so the offerings that the writer is referring to here are offerings that were offered up on a continual basis. And they were offered up on a continual basis because they weren't sufficient to fully cleanse us from our sin. They weren't permanent. In verses 5 
in verses 5 through 9, the writer would go on to say this. Consequently, though, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and, and offerings were not what you desired. God's desire was for us. These sacrifices and offerings came about as a result of sin that entered into the world. And so what God really desires is us. So Jesus says, you know, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings were not what you desired, but you desired to have a body prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said the above, he said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings or burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. And so these offerings that were being offered up were continually being offered up because they, they weren't sufficient. There was an old system that had been made obsolete. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross fulfilled that permanent penalty, that permanent payment for our sin. And it's now through our relationship with him that we are now fully right before God. Beginning in verse 11, it says this, every priest that stands daily at his service, he's offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ offered them up for all time in a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies shall be made a footstool under his feet. And so when Christ shows up, he, he paid a final penalty. There, there, there are no more sacrifices that need to be offered up. Jesus was that final sacrifice. And there were Jews at that time that had been offering up sacrifices their whole life. They've been offering up sacrifices this whole time, and then they're told they no longer need to do that. What you've been doing all your life or for the last 20 years, depending upon how old you were, this whole system of sacrifices is now obsolete. You don't need to do it anymore. Christ is sufficient for you. And I can imagine if I was an Old Testament Jew at that time thinking about all the work, my entire livelihood, everything that I have been brought up, everything that I have been teaching, everything that I've been doing my entire life has now been made obsolete and Jesus is now the final sacrifice. And I can imagine some of the Jews thinking, wow, are you sure? <laughs> I mean, really, I've been doing this my whole life, and now you're telling me I don't need to do it anymore? And so those first Jews, those first Christians, they gave up an entire lifestyle. I mean, 2,000 years they've been, they've been doing this, and all of a sudden, they stop. And I can imagine them thinking, wow, I, I'm, I, are you sure? And think about the traditions that you grew up with in your house. Think about some of the traditions that you grew up, and then I want you to think about what it would feel like if someone told you those things are worthless. They don't work anymore. You don't need to do those. Christ is sufficient. We don't like our traditions messed with. And for all these years, these Jews are, have been told now, hey, Jesus is now the final sacrifice. He is sufficient. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing them to encourage them to say, hey, you can trust him. You don't need to do this any longer. I would imagine there was a lot of Old Testament Jews that became to faith in Christ, but then went back to their old ways because they just didn't trust that Christ was sufficient. In fact, the, the Jewish faith today is, is based on the insufficiency of Christ, people that reject him as the Messiah. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of that Old Testament law. And so the writer is writing to encourage them to say, hey, look, you can trust that Jesus is the way. In fact, he says, he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He died. He rose again. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. You can trust him. And so the book of Hebrews encourages us in our faith, just like it did the Old Testament Jews at this time. Our traditions have a tendency of hanging on. And our traditions, if we're not careful, can interfere with our ability to experience fully a relationship with Christ. I mean, think about what happens around Christmas. I mean, think about some of our holidays, Christmas and Easter. Think about some of the traditions that you grew up with. And when somebody slips in and says, hey, that's not, that's not really necessary. It's like, well, wait a second. Don't tell my kids that. <laughs> I mean, think about some of the traditions that we have that, that butt up against the reality of who Christ is. I mean, when, you are, when you're 12 years old, my story, and you're defending the Easter Bunny, and you're defest, defending the stork, and you think, you, know, you think these realities, I mean, when I grew up thinking these traditions are what I grew up with, and somebody started telling me about my need for a relationship with Christ and who Jesus is, who God was, it was like, well, wait a second, where, where, how does all this fit together? Our traditions, if we're not careful, can hold us back from experiencing the fullness of who Christ is. Religious traditions are important. You know, there's some religious traditions that are <laughs> important. You know, I, I love to kneel when I pray. That's a, that's a tradition I grew up with in church. I like to kneel when I pray. There's different forms of worship that I enjoy. And so there's some traditions that I have that point me to Christ. But if we're not careful, our traditions can, can keep us from experiencing the fullness of who Christ is. And that's what the writer is encouraging these early Jews to understand that, hey, Christ is sufficient. You no longer need to offer up the sacrifice of bulls and goats. That blood is not sufficient to pay for your sins. You know, when it comes to being saved, when it comes to forgiveness of sin before a holy and a perfect God, Jesus is the solution. And he's the only solution. Jesus, through his death on the cross, on our behalf, on our behalf is not only sufficient, but it is the only way for us to be able to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus died for our sins. He, he overcame death and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's what the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 is reminding these Jewish Christians then. And it's a message that is relevant for us today. Our faith is reasonable. Jesus is the only way to our Heavenly Father. Our relationship with Him is important, and, and it is sufficient. And so no matter what's going on in your life right now, knowing that God is sovereign and is in control and has a plan for your life isn't good news. Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for us. And, and He died on the cross and overcame death to prove it. And so as you move into verse 14, the writer says this, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness for us. After saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And for a New Testament Jew, it's like, well, wait a second. What do you mean it's on my heart and it's on our mind? We need to meditate on it. We need to memorize it. And, and we've got the New Testament now, this new covenant that we've entered into with our relationship with Christ. And so he's saying there's a new covenant that they've entered into. And then he says this in verse 17, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. 
because of Christ's death on the cross, because of his sacrifice, you no longer have to continue bringing bulls and goats to the altar to sacrifice them and shed their blood. Isn't that great news? That's great news for us today. Where for an Old Testament Jew, that was, that, was a challenge, that was a challenging thing. And so the writer's encouraging them, hey, Christ is sufficient. God will remember our sins and lawlessness no more. Where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. There is nothing that we need to do to prove ourselves right before God. Being a good person, going to church, I mean, there are things that we do because of who we are in Christ, but those things are not things that we can offer up to be brought before God. He's not going to look down and go, wow, look at all the good stuff that you did. You know, Christ is sufficient for us, and the writer wants to make sure that we understand that assurance. And this is great news. In fact, this is the good news. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so as you're reading through Hebrews 10, as you read through those first 18 verses, there's a little section in your Bible, if you could, you you could stop right there. In fact, we could stop right there and say, that is great news. Let's all go home. (laughs) I mean, that's the good news. And so if you came here this morning and and you had questions about what a relationship with Christ was, or, or if you were wondering, is is Jesus' death really sufficient for me? Are my sins really forgiven? Am I good enough before God? You're not. It's understanding that you're not good enough, and that's why we need Jesus. That's the message of the good news, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's the good news, and, 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 and that's what the writer is encouraging their believers to understand. He wants them to understand that Christ is sufficient. And I want to look back at verse 14 for a moment, because it said this, By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Who is the he in that passage? It's speaking of Jesus. Jesus has offered himself up. That's what the offering is. That offering is Jesus offering himself up through his death on the cross. He is Jesus. He has offered himself up, and he has perfected for all time the work that God's doing in us. We no longer have to bring sacrifices before God. We no longer have to worry about whether or not we're good enough. There's nothing that we can do to earn our way into heaven. Jesus has offered himself up and perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are growing in the process of becoming more Christ-like, who are growing in their faith. We come to understand our need for a relationship with Christ. The Holy Spirit enters into us. We become new creations. The old is gone, and we begin to live out this new life, which is referred to as sanctification. We're justified before God one time because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We don't ever have to go back to that again. Jesus died once and for all for our sins. But this process of sanctification, is, it's a growth process. You know, the good news about Jesus is that he died on the cross for our sins, and that's where we've placed our hope, and now we are growing in faith. In Ephesians 1, it says, In him, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard what I just shared with you, if you heard that for the first time and you came to believe it for the first time today, this is the day that you would say, I want to place my faith in Christ. Every one of us has a faith story. We all have a day that we heard this good news about Christ. You're not born with it. An infant doesn't have it. 
I'm holding my my three-year-old grandson last week, and he's asking questions about it. He doesn't grasp the truth of this. And so every one of us, if we're a Christ follower, has a point where we heard and we believed and we placed our faith in him. When you heard that word of truth, the gospel, the good news about your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Our faith is secure not because of us, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so at that point, when we take possession of it, is that day that we die, where we go to stand before the Lord. It happens in a variety of different ways, at a variety of different ages. At some point, if, if, if Christ returns, then we're going to bypass that. First Corinthians 15 says that if you're still alive when Christ comes back, you're going to be changed instantly in the blink of an eye. The old, the old is going to become new. The perishable is going to become imperishable. And so we are either going to possess it when we die and go before God or when Christ returns and we experience it. And so, but until that time, we have this promise. We've been, we've been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the things that I absolutely love about Hebrews is it makes everything clear and simple. It's clear and, and simple. It's, it, it's truth that we can either accept or believe. And some people hear that good news and they reject it. The truth is simple. Do you mean to tell me there's really nothing I need to do? Do you mean to tell me I don't need to bring bulls and goats to that altar anymore? Is it really that simple? And some people can't wrap their mind around the simplicity of the truth. Now, it came at a great cost. It cost Jesus his life. And when we become a Christ follower, there's a cost of following him. So we have to, we have to bear our cross. And, and so we have to live out on our faith in a way that doesn't make our life necessarily easy. And so there's a cost associated with being a Christ follower. But the, but the good news is simple to understand. That's one of the great things about Hebrews. The writer is telling you, it's crystal clear. You know, Jesus is sufficient for you. This is all you need to do is place your faith and trust in him. No longer have to offer up all these sacrifices. And so we have been presented this morning with the truth about Jesus from the author in Hebrews 10. So the real question is, what are you doing with that truth? You know, have you accepted it? Has it changed you? How is your life different as a result of this truth? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Or are you clinging to traditions that you simply grew up with? You know, for the Jews, it was about the, the blood and the, boat, the blood of, of goats. You probably don't care about that now. You know, that's not relevant for us today. Uh, but, you know, the Jews don't care about that today either. You know, there's no temple. And so they can't offer the, the bulls and the goats up. They can't offer the blood up because the temple was destroyed, as it was foretold. But what they have now instead of the temples, they've got the Talmud. They have religious writings now that are telling them how to keep up with these sacrifices even though they don't have the temple. So they've got an entire theological system that has nothing to do with Jesus that helps them to uphold these sacrifices without a temple. And so they operate under the Talmud. They reject who Jesus is. And in the same way, there are those today that are rejecting who Jesus is. They're trying to be good enough or they're trying to live their faith out in a way that they think they can earn God's favor and it's going to let them down. It's not going to work because it's only through Christ that we find the sufficiency of his death is where we find our forgiveness of sins. Our security is in Christ and in Christ alone. That's the truth. You know, that's what scripture teaches us. It's also just knowledge at this point. So that's just knowledge that we have. I've shared knowledge with you and you can believe it or not. So it's just knowledge. But 
But what do we do with these things? How does this truth affect how we live out our lives? And that's what the writer gives us in the next few verses. In verses 19 through 25, we find three clear implications for us today. And I love three. Three points. So Richard's happy. I got three points on my sermon today. (laughs) There are three implications for this truth that we find in our scripture today in uh, verses 19 through 25. Let's read that together. Beginning in verse 19, it says this. Therefore, because of this good news, brothers, since we have this confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he opened up through us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see that day drawing near. Now, we talked about uh, the word therefore uh, several months ago when we were in our series through the Sermon on the Mount. We did something fun with that. So do you remember what we do when we see the word therefore in a sentence? Clap. <laughs> we're all going to do it. So we're just going to keep doing it until everybody claps. So get your clapping hands out. You got to clap. Therefore, therefore, if you're online, I hope you're clapping too. Therefore, therefore, <laughs> yeah, that happened last time too. This is a cause and effect. Because of this great confidence, since we have this great confidence, since we have this great priest, because of this, as a result of these things, three commands, three implications are now the result. Therefore, since we have confidence there in the holy place by the blood of Jesus and by this new living way that he opened up through us, through this curtain, as through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see that day approaching. Three clear implications for the truth about the confidence that we have because of what Christ accomplished for us. Three clear truths. We are to draw near to God in faith. We are to hold fast to the confession of our faith, and we are to stir others up in love and good works. Isn't that clear? I love it. That's one of the, Hebrews is just a great book. If you've never read through the book of Hebrews, I'd encourage you. It makes things crystal clear. This is the truth. This is what it means. That's what Richard needs. I just need to know what, what, what I need to do. And Hebrews makes it crystal clear what our lives should look like as a result of our relationship with Christ. The implication of our confidence in Christ is that there's some let us commands. That let us is, and, and that let us, the implications there are, is if we're not doing these things, then, then we don't have the confidence. See, these are not suggestions. They're expected results. And so we want to look first at number one. Do you see what I did there? Let us look at number one. You don't have a choice. It's coming. (laughs) Now you can close your eyes. You don't have to look at it, but then you're going to miss out on all this great stuff. 
Let us look at number one together. It's a command. We're going to do it, and we're going to do it together. Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a true heart in the full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, drawing near to God. You know, what are some of the ways that you can think of to draw near to God? You know, we talk to God through prayer. You know, when I stop in the middle of my day and I say, hey, God, I need some help with this, I'm drawing near to him. If I forget him or I, I don't wake up in the morning and I don't pray and I don't read the Bible and, I, and, I, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm not engaging in my relationship with him, then I'm, then I'm moving away from him. And so every single one of us is either moving closer to God or moving further from God based on how we're behaving in our relationship with him. And so when I pray to God, I'm drawing near to him. When I read scripture together, when, I, when I'm reading through this and God's speaking to me, I, I draw near to God as I let him talk to me. It's relationships. Every one of our relationships is based on talking and listening to one another. It's true in your marriage. It's true with your kids. It's true in your workplace. Relationships are based on time spent together talking and listening to one another. And when we talk and listen to God, we are drawing near to him. You know, but there's something that's also important to understand that, that drawing near to God, talking to God through prayer, and, uh, and listening to, and reading his word does not necessarily result in being saved. And so I can read my Bible. I can pray. I can go to church. There are things that I can do. There are sacrifices that I can offer up. You have no idea how long it took me. Do you know how much time I spent in prayer this morning? You know how much time I spent reading the Bible? Do you know how much it took me to get to church on Sunday morning? There are sacrifices that we can offer up to God in a sense that we think that those are going to be sufficient for us, for us having a relationship with him. And so drawing near is not just a knowledge issue. It's a heart issue. There's change that should come about as a result of our relationship with Christ in terms of what is believed and lived out. In Romans chapter 10, uh, Paul is writing, and we know Paul is the author of Romans. Um, and he t- writes about his heart's desire for his fellow Hebrews. And this is one of the reasons why I think Paul wrote Hebrews. Uh, Matthew is also known to have been writing specific to Hebrews. And so when you look at the writing style of Hebrews, I think it just falls more in line with, with Paul's. And then Paul's heart is specifically um, for his uh, kindred brother, his fellow Hebrews. And he says this beginning in verse 10. Uh, in chapter 10 of Romans, in verse 1, he says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. For I bear witness about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. They had a zeal for God. They were drawing near to God. But as Paul prays for them, he's praying that they would be, would be saved. You see, there's a difference between the knowledge that we have and, and, and what happens to our heart as it comes to submitting ourselves to Jesus as Lord. There's a difference between knowing Jesus as a Savior... We know he saves us from our sin, but it's a completely different issue to say we're going to submit our lives to him. Submission is a word that works against our nature. We don't like to submit to the law. 
We don't, have you ever gotten pulled over from going speed? How many, get, how many get excited about getting a speeding ticket? Nobody. Nobody likes to be confronted when they break the law. It's the same way with Jesus. You know, we have to submit ourselves to his authority. There are some things that we find in this book that work against how we live our lives. Sorry. You know, there's some things in this book that tell us, hey, this is how you should live. This might not be how you grew up. This might not be what you see in your life right now, but, but we have to submit ourselves to Jesus as our Lord. That authority issue is what's critically important. It's not just a salvation issue, but it's submitting ourselves to be obedient to God's word. And that is a completely different issue. And so when we talk about drawing near, we're not just talking about drawing near to God through our miscellaneous behaviors. We're talking about drawing near in full assurance of faith. And so we are to draw near to God in full assurance of faith. In what? In Christ. It's not, just your, it's not just faith that saves you, it's faith in Christ. We don't just draw near to God with zeal, we draw near to God in the full assurance of faith in Christ as we submit to him as our Lord and our Savior. The full assurance of faith that we have is the assurance of faith that we have in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Our salvation comes about as a result of a gift from God through our faith in Christ. And so Christ is the central figure of our faith. And so we draw near to God with full assurance of faith. Have you submitted yourself to God's righteousness? Have you submitted your life to Christ? When we talk about drawing near to God, Paul is saying, hey, you can be encouraged in your faith. Here's three things that we need to do. Let us draw near to God. The first one is understanding our our need for a relationship with Christ. Paul would continue in chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. It's believing and confessing with your mouth. It looks like something. When, I, when somebody asks me about my relationship with Christ, I, I tell them, I, I became a Christ follower at 33 years old. He changed my life. We have a faith story, and when we publicly confess our faith in Christ, that's the reflection of a heart change. You know, in, in Romans uh, 10, 9, it says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. For with your heart, one believes and is justified, but with your mouth, one confesses and is saved. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so our drawing near with a true heart means that we are fully assured of who we are in Christ. It's not about going to church. It's not about being a good person. It's about understanding that I'm not a good person. <laughs> I need Jesus and confessing my need for that. And then he moves right on into uh, verse 23. Hold fast to that confession of your hope without wavering for he has promised is faithful. So you make that faith commitment. You make that public confirmation. You, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and then you hold to it. You hold to it. You hold to your confession of hope. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord. You believe in your heart, God raised him from the grave. And that's the confession of your hope. That's where our hope lies. My hope lies in knowing that when Christ returns, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. My hope lies in the fact that if something happens in this life right now, before I get to turn 70 or 80 or 90 or 100, however long I'm going to live, that I know where I'm going to spend eternity. Answering that question, do you know where you're going to go, is really important. That's where our hope lies. That's why people today have, are just living without hope. You know, you look around at what's happening right now. It's like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Well, the world's coming to an end. That's what's happening. Jesus is going to come back at some point. Don't be surprised. 
you know, there's going to be this tribulation, you know, it's going to get worse. That's not where our hope lies. Our hope is not in the government. My hope is not in the government, certainly. It's not in other people. It's not based on my talents, my abilities, my gifts, or the lack thereof. My hope is based on my confession of faith in Christ. And that's where I'm going to stand firm. And so Paul writes us to encourage us, hey, draw near to God through faith in Christ. Hold fast to that confession of hope that is yours. That's where your confidence lies. My hope is in Christ and in him alone. It is him that I stand. As you move into verse 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir one another up. This great news that I just shared with you, let's stir one another up in it. And so when we leave this place, it could be like, hey, did you guys know this? When you get to your workplace, when you get to your neighborhood, when you're around your friends or your family, hey, do you guys know this? We need to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see that day drawing near. And so we are to encourage one another. We're to stir one another up. You know, Ephesians 2.10 says that you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, not by works so that no one can boast. Verse 10 says, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the work that God has created in advance for you to do. And so it's not that we're just saved. There's some work that God has for us to do. Work is biblical. Work is good. Serving together is good. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, work was one of the things that they were supposed to do before sin entered into the world. Work is a good thing. And so we're to stir one another up to to love and and good works. 1 Peter 4.10 says that every one of us has a spiritual gift for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And so we serve together. You know, when I was watching those people serving together, loving all those kids last week, I was encouraged. We encouraged watching that video this morning, watching all those kids come to faith in Christ. That's because people were using their gifts to serve the body of Christ and, and, to, and help people understand how to have a relationship with Christ. It's exciting. You know, each one of us has a spiritual gift for the purpose of serving others and building up the body of Christ. He has gifted every follower of Christ. And we are to be faithful stewards and use our gifts to love and to serve others. God's grace is revealed through our faithfulness. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says that we are the body of Christ and individually we are members of it. Springbrook is a reflection of Christ's body. It's a local body of Christ and individually we are members of it or we are not members of it. You know, we are called to be something together and we're to stir one another up to be what God has for us together. Acts 2.42 talks about small groups. When those first 3,000 Christians became Christ followers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. They met together with glad and sincere hearts, encouraging one another in the faith. Small groups are an, an integral part of how we encourage each other and live out our faith. We are not to forsake meeting together. You know, we are encur- I'm encouraged by seeing you here. I hope you're encouraged by, by being here. I hope the worship's encouraging to you. I hope the message is encouraging to you. I hope you're encouraged when you see you know, your friends and, and new families coming together in Springbrook. There's something encouraging about when we come together. We need to meet together. It's biblical. It's an important part of who we call to be. Church is not an option. We need you here. And you need to be here. We are not to forsake meeting together. And so we encourage each other on Sunday mornings. We encourage each other in small groups. And so it's simple. We have spiritual gifts and we need to be serving. We need to be connected to the local body of Christ. And we need to be involved in small groups. And so if you want to talk about how to make this happen, it's, it's simple. 
Now, it might work against our calendars. <laughs> it might work against some of the traditions that we grew up or some of the other things that I'm working on, but it's biblical and it's true. And if you have that full confidence in faith, then you're going to find joy in doing these things. And so it's my prayer that as we move through this series in Hebrews, as we move through this year, you know, 2022 is, is, is halfway over. <laughs> we started the year on a, with a, inviting everybody on this journey together. And man, 2022 is flying. And so it's my prayer for our church as we move through our time together that we're growing in faith in a way that we really are encouraged and that there's something different about our lives. Jesus is going to return. But in the meantime, he has a plan for us. You know, we are, we're, you know, the, one day for the Lord is like a thousand for us. One day the Lord's going to return. He's going to come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done with it will all be exposed. There, there's going to be a day where Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. He came the first time to save. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Those that have a relationship with Christ with him have the assurance of heaven. Those that don't have a relationship with Christ with him have the assurance of not being in heaven. We call that hell. We don't like to talk about it, but it's a reality. Verses 8 and 9 before that say we're not to overlook this fact. With the day one day is like a thousand and a thousand years like one day, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. I'm waiting for Jesus to return. At that point that he does return, I'm going to be able to, as as the Hebrew author wrote earlier, experience that. You know, I'm going to be able to experience that at some point. He's not slow to return and to fulfill his promises. He's going to return. He's not slow as some count slowness. He is patient towards me. He is patient with us. He's patient towards us not wishing that any should perish, but all that should reach repentance. God has a plan for us to do these good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do, to to help others around us understand their need for a relationship with Christ. You know, he has a plan for us as we sharpen one another, as we grow together, and as we encourage one another, living our faith out. Our freedom in Christ, we have been set free for. We are to stand firm. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back. Remember that day at which you committed your life to Christ and stand firm in that. Remember that day that you publicly confessed your faith in Christ. Stand firm in that. Remember the importance of our meeting together and encouraging one another and stand firm in that. So Hebrews 10 is an opportunity for us to be encouraged. And I pray that you're encouraged as you go out. We have so much to be thankful for. God's provision for our ministry, the work that God's doing in our lives, in our congregation, in our community. We have so much to be thankful for. Let's give him the glory. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for uh, this day you've given us today. And I thank you for uh, Hebrews chapter 10. It is an, it is an encouraging chapter <laughs> and challenging at the same time. God, I know that there are um, traditions or things in our past that if we let them, will hold us back. And so I just pray that each of us would be able to experience the freedom in Christ that would result and change lives. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in and through us together. Thank you for this day you've given us. We look forward to all that you have for us. Uh, We commit this day to you and for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together one more time in body or spirit. Let's lift our voices and respond in praise and thanksgiving to this word we've received this morning.
How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ, my living hope Sing, who could imagine? Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my skin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my
Amen. I pray that you will go in faith, that you will go in full assurance because your God, your Jesus, your King, who is seated on the throne, is faithful. Go in faith and peace to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed week. We will see you next Sunday.